You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. If you're telling me that a team views Bo Horvat as a younger Ryan O'Reilly, that to me makes me wonder if it's the team that currently employs Ryan O'Reilly. If they are thinking that, man, we can't afford to lose Bo because what would we be then? I will maybe cry on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. This is a big day for the show. All four, four of us are hatted. I repeat, hatted. Does that not that doesn't that happen every day or Negative. does Andy not wear a hat? Not Andy's not a hat guy. I'm the He's I'm the rebel. I'm the yeah. dissenter. Do you okay. like you like Andy's hat today? What well, I can't see it. It's a little I like how it's a little crooked to the side. It's a little mm. ajar. Askew, it's how, it's how the youth will. wear it. The youth. Yeah. <laughs> He's going skateboarding after the show. Keep nice. Young. Yeah. Nice. You're gonna do yeah. a kickflip or two after the show. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over fifteen hundred five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Yeah, Halford and Breath in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Okay, big show ahead on a Friday, as it always is here on the Halbro Experience. Going to get the guest list underway at 6.30. James Sharman, soccer analyst for Sportsnet Footy Prime, is going to join us here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So during this show, we will get kickoff of the first quarterfinal from the FIFA 2022 World Cup in Qatar. It'll be Brazil and Croatia at 7 this morning, followed by Argentina and the Netherlands at 11. But with James, I think we're going to do a hyper laser focus on the biggest match of them all, really, England France, 11 a.m. on Saturday. We'll be there live at England House at the Hollywood Theater. Is it safe to say that Croatia is the biggest underdog of these quarterfinal matches and England-France is the most even match? Yes, the only one that might be as big of an underdog is Morocco getting past Portugal. But according to the sports books, anyway, so, yeah. Croatia is the biggest of the underdog. I mean, Brazil's the tournament favorite right now. Mm-hmm. and that's Well, they're where- the tournament favorite going in and then mm-hmm. what they did to South Korea. Uh, and the, the, the Croatian gaffer <laughs> acknowledged as much as well in his remarks. So we'll talk to James Sharman about all that at 6.30. 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson, ESPN NFL Nation. We'll look ahead to the Seahawks this weekend. It is the Seahawks. It is the lowly Carolina Panthers, although their former quarterback put on a show last night. We'll talk to Brady about not just the game, but the playoff picture moving ahead. Uh, the Seahawks have five games left in their season. It looks as though like a 10-win season is... I don't want to say expected, but given some of the games on the horizon, this should be a 10-win football team, but they got to play the games. And You're they scared of the jinxing games. them, aren't you? Yeah, I am. It was like that time when I said Russell Wilson never gets injured. 8 I, o'clock. I think I'm still mad that they lost to the Raiders, especially after watching the Raiders last, last night. I'm Raiders st- are, still uh, the Raiders game and the Saints game really bother me. The Raiders this year have lost to a coach that had about five days prep coming off his high school coaching stint. Mm-hmm. In the Indianapolis Colts, yep. Jeff Saturday, and then lost to a quarterback that had the playbook for like 36 hours right. before going out and beating them. So that's yeah. not great for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eight o'clock, Moj is going to join us. Bob the Moj Marjanovic. Uh, we can look back on the career of Brian Burnham with Moj. Of course, we had Brian on the show earlier this week when he announced his retirement. We can also look ahead to all the NFL action this weekend with Moj at eight o'clock. So working in reverse, Moj at eight, Brady Henderson at seven, James Sharman at six thirty. I mentioned the World Cup action. It's a busy Friday night in the NHL. Among the games, Calgary and Columbus. So a couple of interesting storylines going into that one. You've got the Columbus Blue Jackets who are just bad at hockey and got bombed by Buffalo the other night. you got a new starting goalie for Calgary. It's Dan Vladar. And finally, and most importantly, Johnny Hockey against his former mates. This one's in Columbus, though. He's not back in Calgary. Oh, that's boring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, NBA, big game, big uh, night for them tonight, 10 games. It's Ask Us Anything Friday. 
We're going to do our Play Now Locks of the Week. And finally, finally, it is the final day of giveaways here. It's like Christmas came early on the Halbro show. We are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Wild tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Today is also the day we do the final grand prize draw for the Scenic Rush Sea to Sky Tour. Three hours in a supercar, a Lamborghini, uh, Porsche, a, a, a Beetle. We mentioned that yesterday. So it's like a important. cannonball run. Yes, it's for exactly three hours. Just three hours, just you're cannonballing back and forth up the up and down the sea to sky. So There's another timely movie reference. That have one you, wasn't as bad. Hey, dogs, have you heard of the the, the movie Cannonball Run? No. Okay. Who stars in it? Uh, Burt Reynolds is in it. Oh, Dom, okay. is, that like, is that like Cannonball Cool Runnings? Run. Dom, it is it not. Is, it is it's like not cool, even close kinda. to Cool Runnings so at all. Is it like Smokey and the Bandit? Yes. yes. Oh, yes. okay. Dom DeLuise is in it. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, Do you know who Dom DeLuise is? Actually, you know what? Now, now that you mention it, I I have heard of it, <laughs> but I've never seen it. <laughs> okay. So we're one step closer to me knowing what, about, what the heck you're talking about. What about Cannonball Run Part Two? Have you heard of that one? Oh yeah. Oh wow. It's terrible. Focus. Once again, we're lacking focus early in the show. So we're going to do all the giveaways uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. If you want to weigh in right now, we're going to open a, this contest wide up today. All you got to do is send an ask us anything or what we learned. Hashtag AUA. Hashtag WWL. Ticket emoji gets you into the grand prize draw for Canucks tickets. Car emoji gets you into the grand prize draw for the scenic rush trip. If you want to get crazy... And by all means, get crazy because it's Friday and it's the weekend. You can put the ticket and car emoji in the same thing. You'll be entered into all the draws for eternity. That's not true. Okay, that's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? So it was a light day yesterday, light night in Canuckland. No practice, no game to speak of. But that doesn't mean that the conversation stopped here on your home of the Canucks with two shows with the words Canucks in the title, Sportsnet 650. Uh, the Bo Horvat discourse really took the internet and the station by storm yesterday. The, the reaction was, good Lord. Yeah, that was That it. was just the whole day. Just, good Lord, $9 million? So Bo Horvat? In it, this economy? Yeah. and the Good use, Lord. It, it started here on the Halford and Bruff experience. Yesterday, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff came on the show. And we were talking about uh, the topic du jour and really the topic de season because it's been lingering for the better part of two months, and that was Bo Horvat's future, either with the Canucks or apparently in a on a yacht somewhere else. So uh, let's play the audio from Frank now as we reset uh, how this kind of took off like wildfire yesterday. Frank Saravalli on our show live with a Jason Bruff reaction, a genuine, honest reaction to the news that there is one team out there that might be willing to break the bank when it comes to Bo Horvat potentially getting to free agency. Take it away. There were rumblings last week that the Canucks had potentially made a new offer or re-engaged with the Horvat camp. I have no confirmation or indication that that actually occurred or is the case. But I, the only sense that I have is that nothing has materially changed one way or the other with how things have gone with Horvat to this point. And I think more than that, there are whispers from other teams that I've spoken to. I, I have reason to believe, guys, that one team out there, at least, and it only takes one, is willing to pay Bo Horvat a number that starts with a nine. Good Lord. Really? On just a long-term contract Caps extension. Going up. Caps it, going up. Caps going up. Caps going up. Need a center. Yeah. Absolutely I, I... need a center. And and this team that I spoke to said they think Bo Horvat is just a way younger version of Ryan O'Reilly. So that was obviously something that a lot of people locally were able to run with in a variety of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people that were just coming out looking at the obvious statements of facts and saying, wow, it's going to be really difficult for the Canucks to keep him now. That's the kind of money he could get out there. Uh, there were the Frank is an Eastern media sleeper cell mole. Uh, there was lots of the talk about this is the agent planting stories. There were lots of questions asking, who is this mystery team? And yeah. Who could possibly want to pay Horvath that much money? I, I texted Frank and I said, any hints? on the mystery team, and he said, no. Right on. And then I said, you're no fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people tried to guess and figure out who it might be. I'm not really sure that's the point or purpose of this exercise, but it's always fun to get Do we have the Drance and Dodd audio? Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, they came on and tried to crack the code 
as it was, and I think Drance might have been on to something. Uh, let's let him explain it and take it away now. If you're a contending organization, you're not opening up the checkbook to pay Bo Horvat $9 million a season. I don't think. I could be wrong about that, but that's not the immediate read I get, right? I look at it as almost like a, Anaheim. A lesser, yeah, Anaheim or a lesser version of Johnny Gaudreau to Columbus, right? Where, okay, maybe this is jumpstarting our process a little bit. We're not right there in that contention window, but hey, if we've got a chance to sign this player, we'll break the bank to do it. Anaheim is a good example as well. That's my read on what the potential team could be. Heck, maybe it would be Columbus. Pair, oh, sorry, pair a goal-scoring center with your playmaking winger. Let's go. I have a different twist for you. If you're telling me that a team views Bo Horvat as a younger Ryan O'Reilly, that to me makes me wonder if it's the team that currently employs Ryan O'Reilly. So, That's interesting. Right? Like, if you're being like, he's exactly like this guy who is much older, especially because Saravalli emphasizes much, much younger Anyway, that's what I would think. So there's a lot of takeaways here. I think the one that I had is this is kind of a classic example of why general managers usually don't like to go into seasons with this hanging over their head. I mean, mm-hmm. the Canucks made that very clear with the JT Miller extension, even though we're talking a little bit of apples and oranges there, is that they didn't want this to become a distraction. Because I know how this goes for Bo Horvat and his camp. Bo Horvat, not Boar. Bo Horvat and his camp moving forward is he gets asked about it now. Yeah. He's going to get asked about it a lot. And he's other- probably going to ask questions. Who do you think the team is, guys? Yeah. Like, I want to know. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Am I going to be able to move there? Can I get my stuff there? Like, that's going to be. Bo's one- like, good lord. Yeah. <laughs> For me? <laughs> I do think that. I've got seven assists. I do think that that's um, one of the byproducts that the Canucks knew was going to be an inevitability and an eventuality because they didn't get this done. Ahead of time. And when you talk about not getting the deal done ahead of time, it kind of brings back all of these not great feelings for Horvat, the ones that we're talking about, where it's like, why didn't they prioritize my contract over somebody Mm -hmm. else's? Why did they let their captain go into the final year of his deal uh, without any sort of extension and leading it up to unrestricted free agency? Am I going to be this guy who's known as, for the better part of three months, the number one trade target Mm -hmm. on everybody's trade target board? Like those things and those questions are out there, and they still remain unanswered. So Merrick and Freed were having a conversation um, on the program after our show, and I was listening to on, on on the way home in the car. And Merrick threw out the question of, well, actually threw out the, the debate that we've been having, basically, okay. of do you reset the Canucks and go, okay, we need to take a step back here, or... Is there enough talent there that you just keep chipping away at the roster and you try and build something, you try and uh, move some bad cap space or you know move some bad contracts out and, and just keep going? Because his point was, like, Pedersen's playing really well and you've got Quinn Hughes. you got some good players there, mm-hmm. right? Which we've made a number of times, and that's essentially what our show is, just debating the way forward. And Frege kind of said, guys, like, it may not be up to them. It may just be the contracts determine which way they go, right? And I get that, right? If they can't assign, uh, if they can't afford to sign Horvat, and then they trade him, they're not going to stay. Like they're not going to be able to trade Horvat and get an equally good NHL player right now. Correct. So if they trade Horvat, they're probably taking a step back, and then when they look at their team, they're probably going. Man, like, we're not as good anymore without Horvat. So maybe we should just use next season as a bit of a reset season and don't have necessarily the highest expectations and just have that as a bit of a, all right, let's regroup. Let's try and um, get some futures, obviously, for both. And I know Frege didn't say all this, but this is what I'm extrapolating from. Sure, sure. But, uh, um, you know, like, let's just reset. The other big question that hangs over all of this is Pedersen. And I wonder how this is going to progress because Pedersen is in the second year of a three-year bridge contract. Yep, We all know he's playing really well. He can, in theory, start – he could sign this offseason a long-term extension. So, I so aren't you almost obligated, if you're Canucks management, to start having those conversations as soon as you possibly can? 
Because doesn't doesn't that almost determine everything? Uh, let's say Pedersen is totally open to c- talking a contract extension. You can get him locked in to a long-term contract extension that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You do that. Yeah. But what if, and you don't have to make this public, but what if you enter into those contract extensions and you sense something? You're like, there's something weird going on here. Like, PD is not is not feeling these conversations. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like he wants to sign long-term here. We've seen how this plays out in Calgary with a guy like Matthew Kachuk, and we know in the back of our minds that Pedersen made these comments if, like a year and a half ago. He said, listen, I want to – if I'm going to sign long-term with the Canucks, I, I want to play for a winning team. I want to play in the playoffs. And, you know, when he made those comments at the time, I didn't blame him. Okay. I certainly didn't blame him. I don't know if you blamed him. I was like, good. I, I hope you want to play for a winning team. That's seemed the most like one important of those, thing. It seemed like one of those innocuous comments that gets uh, relayed to a Swedish media outlet and then it gets translated in English and everyone freaks out when it's really just like a very innocuous comment. I would like to win. I'd like to play for a team that can I'd like win. To, I'd like to win. It seemed pretty and, straightforward. And I, I'm not going to sign long-term with a, with a franchise that keeps losing. So I don't know how Pedersen feels about this organization right now. But don't you think that they're obligated to start there yeah. in the offseason? Yeah, priority I mean, can, number one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you can have those conversations, have them. Don't be like, okay, we're going to fix a bunch of other stuff, and hopefully the Pedersen stuff all works out for you, no, right? No, like, no, you know, like no. you have to no, no. St- you, no, no. You have to start there because if – and I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying this is going to happen. If Pedersen is hesitant or shy or, or even like downright – Hey guys, just so just so you know, I'm not signing long term here. Then you have to make a bunch of moves that change everything. Horvat is almost like a a smaller version of that. Yeah, because, but he's not. And he's, you know, but, he's, but again, you want to talk about the one word I keep coming back to, and it's priority. Who has been made the priority for this organization? I mean, when you take a step back and look at it, the picture is actually pretty clear, almost crystal clear. They prioritize J.T. Miller. They prioritized not just signing him, but making sure it didn't bleed into the regular season. I mean, Rutherford came out and said that was a big part of this. Now, I would say basic logic assumes that uh, your number one priority for the upcoming offseason is Pedersen. Hands down. Mm -hmm. Like I know there's other things to do on the shopping list, but right now, given how he's playing, his contractual status, and the fact that you have an opportunity to sign him long-term, which, again, fundamentally I am opposed to, but I understand they'll probably end up doing it. That is your priority. So with those two things there, that you made Miller a priority and got that done, and your next big priority is going to be Pedersen, you fill in the blanks. What does that mean for Horvat? By the way, when you say fundamentally you're opposed to signing Pedersen long-term. No, no, no. Signing anyone long-term. Anyone long-term. Yeah. But to keep Pedersen, to sign Pedersen long-term. It's a different, it's a different debate. Don't even go down that road. This is okay, my, well, you brought it up. I mean, yeah, but now I'm putting it, now, but, I'm, shut, because, now I'm shutting it down. But because people will be like, oh, you don't, you don't think they should sign Pedersen long-term. Yeah, but I don't care about people. Well, clearly based on your opinions. Yeah. And my personal hygiene. Um, no, like, okay, this is all I'll say. Eight-year deals are nuts. Mm-hmm. Too long. It's way too much of a commitment. Point to me the amount of them that have turned out really well in the end for the team. And I'll be like, okay, there's one or two. Right. I think if you, I think a lot of the time, if you sign guys out of their ELCs and they're really good players, they're special players. Like the McDavid contract for the Oilers is awesome for yeah. them. Right? There's a handful. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah, there are a lot of them that aren't great, or yeah. a lot of them. That, the crazy part is there's a lot of them where the guy signing the contract, giving the money, is like, here you go. I know this is going to age badly, and then he has a big smile on his. Well, face. that's different than the. That would be different than the Pedersen conversation because Pedersen's so much younger. He could age quickly. And well, badly. Well, okay. Four years max. Everything in your life should be a four-year commitment. I would love it if the rules were that. Yeah. But I also know that if the Canucks had that as an organizational philosophy, Pedersen would be like, or a lot of players would be like, okay, well, bye. Well, just wait the four years, right? They want to get they want to get their guaranteed contract. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, here's a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, with the deals. The Canucks made this offseason. How do you reset for next year? The trash contracts aren't getting taken away. You got to start somewhere. Hard I mean, enough. what's the alternative? What's the alternative? You'd keep doubling and tripling down on the current roster. Yeah. Which I don't think is, uh, again, I don't think it's the right move. Mm-hmm. I can't put myself in the mind of management constantly because they have made some moves in the past that have befuddled me to a certain degree. I wouldn't have done that. And I wouldn't have done that, but they went ahead and did it. I just think that 
if if we're able to parse the the very minimal information that's been given to us, and we look back historically and say maybe those are markers of what's to happen in the future, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like Horvat's back. Unless here's the caveat, Jason. Unless they change their minds, and changing the mind of this organization doesn't seem all that difficult to do because at times it feels like certain decision makers over the last decade have gotten caught up in a little glimmer of hope or a little bit of something. And that is a dangerous thing. It's like when you spend months mapping out a plan and then you put it in the case and you you have the glass case and that's our plan. Don't, don't mess with that. But then something, and not even like fundamentally huge, something like something happens that alters the course a little bit and you don't stick to the plan. You Mm -hmm. go in a different direction. And I, I, that's where I kind of get worried about, well, what happens? What happens if there's a scenario where Bo Horvat, by the trade deadline, is either flirting with or has scored 40 goals, <laughs> which is in the realm of possibility right now. Is it not? Can anyone disagree yeah, with me there? Yeah, of course. And he has almost single-handedly propelled the – because don't forget, he is the captain of the team – single-handedly propelled this team – from the 0-5 and 2 start. Well, to... that's stupid because Pedersen's still okay, their Pedersen best player. Okay, Pedersen too then, fine. Okay. Just work with me on the narrative. All right, well, just write a better narrative It's then. a good narrative. He it's scored not. 40 goals and he's the just captain. Just say he's helped them. He's helped them. He's, helped he's them. the leader of the ship. Why do you have to say single-handedly? I'm the captain now. Or as they, as many people would put it on Twitter, single-handedly. <laughs> that is a way to put it. Handedly. <laughs> is, is that not the right way? <laughs> is that wrong? Uh, let's, say he, let's say he does this. He's a catalyst and the captain, and they're going into the deadline. I don't know if the if the organization has like the wherewithal or the gumption or or the, or the conservative gumption again. Yeah, conservativeness to say, you know what, this is great, but we're still going to stick to the plan. And the plan is yeah, trading Tyler Mott's a little different, right? Yeah, it is because yeah. you know you get a fourth round pick in return. Everyone's like, ah, well, we wish we got more, but mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. This is a lot more important to fans of the team. It's a lot more important to Horvath. It might be a lot more important to the the direction of the club, but I I just don't know. Um, like, like, and let's say that happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's somewhat plausible, right? It puts the it puts the club in a predicament, and I just wonder if they have. Uh, we're going to go straight, and we're going to and we're going to stick by our our laurels and our guns. And we're going to stick to the plan, or if they mm-hmm. might deviate a little bit. Time now for a quick soccer report brought to you by Certainty, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainty, pro all the way. So. The action today is starts with Croatia and Brazil, and that kicks off in about, I don't know, around 40 minutes. Uh, the Dutch and Argentina at, are at 11 a.m. Vancouver time. Tomorrow it's uh, Morocco and Portugal and England and France. Croatia and Brazil. Brazil is a heavy favorite in this one, the heaviest favorite of the four quarterfinal games. What are the chances, in your opinion, forget the odds makers, what are the chances that Croatia is able to pull the upset off against Brazil? Because we've seen Croatia progress through a number of major tournaments. That Mm -hmm. last tournament in 2018, they made it all the way to the finals. And this one, once again... They're playing cagey, you know. There like we go. Veteran. They're playing with gumption. Veteran uh, soccer, and they've got Modric and another other a bunch of other guys that have been in this position before. And don't forget that, as good as Brazil has looked, when was the last time Brazil made it to pass the past the quarters? Was it was it their famous loss to Germany in their? Uh, in yeah, the and then they haven't been to the finals in 20 years. So it's been a while. Right. right. So uh, all the pressure is going to be on Brazil today. See, Brazil's got the interesting uh, dynamic in all of this in that they're playing the tournament for Pele, who, of course, is hospitalized. Uh, he had cancer, and then he picked up a respiratory virus, I believe. Right. Uh, so there's that shadow. The, again, the three big narratives right now about winning it for the Gipper, and I'm using a very American term for a very global game, but uh, is Portugal with Ronaldo, although that's kind of taken a turn, that narrative. Argentina for Messi, and then Brazil for Pele. So those are the three big ones. Croatia is a very, very interesting opponent for Brazil. Because do you know how many wins Croatia has in this tournament? In, like, outright victories? One. 
and it was against Canada. Against Canada. Yeah, everything else has been, I mean, yes, they beat Japan in penalties, but, I mean, for conventional mm-hmm. scoring, that's a draw. Sure. They played 120 yeah. minutes of a draw. They drew Morocco. Uh, they drew Belgium, right? This is a team that can go into matches and not lose, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They know how to not lose. Right. They know how to be very I defensive. mean, they'd be thrilled to get to penalties with Brazil. Right. Thrilled. And to be quite honest, I felt at times that in extra time against Japan, they were more than happy to go to penalties against Japan as well, mm-hmm. right? They, you talk about tournament football and surviving, and that's the big difference. Is there's going out and having a performance and having a go, and then there's surviving. And surviving mm-hmm. means you stay in this thing for as long as humanly possible, and you scratch and you fight. And well, you how fall. many times have they been down one nothing and they fought back to win the game they eventually? Did, yeah, they did it against the Japanese in the round of 16. And they right? did it against Canada. They did it against yeah. England four years ago. So that's why it's really intriguing for me, because I think that they have – uh, the footballing brains collectively and the resolve as a group, knowing that this is probably going to be like Modric's last kick at the can and everything to make their goal today is going to be make life really difficult on Brazil. So I'm going to be very fascinated to see if they can do that. This soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. James Sharman is going to join us next to continue the soccer talk. We'll talk about England, France on Saturday. Uh, what way will England get eliminated from the tournament <laughs> this year? Will it just be a much better side and France beats them? Will it be something very painful? Or does England actually have a chance to win this thing? I can't allow my, myself to think like that. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. We saw players from Vancouver coming on the ice in the garden and they were actually practicing how they would be lifting the cup and handing off the cup to each other and we found out wow. about these things and we were like bullet it's like we are not gonna allow this happen you know it just it just fueled us that's like acting out having sex with your wife that's the level <sighs> of disrespect that is 731 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. So you heard the audio. We might play it again just for good measure, just for dramatic effect. On the way back from break, we played audio of former Bruins captain Zdeno Chara. And he was revisiting that infamous 2011 Stanley Cup final series against the Vancouver Canucks uh, on a podcast with former Pats receiver Julian Edelman and stand-up comedian Sam Morrill. Uh, It's called the Games with Names podcast. I didn't investigate what that means. But you now know the title and you can't unknow it. Anyway. They were asking Chara about, obviously, his decorated Bruins career and the pinnacle of said career, winning the 2011 Stanley Cup, hoisting the trophy. Something that Chara claims the Canucks were practicing, you know, hoisting the trophy. Can we play the audio in full? I want everyone to make sure that they're hearing this on their own. Yet another chapter, improbably, of the 2011 Stanley Cup Final that happened 11 years ago. We're still writing chapters, folks. Here's the latest, courtesy of Zdeno Chara on the Games with Names podcast. We saw players from Vancouver coming on the ice in the garden, and they were actually practicing how they would be lifting the cup and handing off the cup to each other. And we found out wow. about these things and we were like, bullet it's like we are not going to allow this happen. You know, it just, it just fueled us. That's like acting out, having sex with your wife. That's the level <sighs> of disrespect that is. I didn't get the last part. I thought that was kind of unnecessary and quite frankly, very odd. But um, the- So when, when would that have been in, th- in theory? Because the Canucks traveled to Boston twice thinking that they might be hoisting 
the cup there. They obviously won the first two games in Vancouver. So yeah. a lot of people, believe it or not, we're talking about a potential sweep. And so, so it could have been in game, could have been uh, going to Boston for three and four, thinking that it might have been in game four. Or, and I would say maybe this is more likely. Well, I don't know, depending how the series played out. I guess it could have been ahead of game six after the Canucks had shut out the Bruins in game five. You go back there. Then for it was, game it six. Was, it was before game three. He says it in the clip. After losing the first two games in Vancouver, we saw players from Vancouver coming on the ice in the garden. So that's when it would have been. That's when it was? Yeah. Okay. So that's to answer that question. I mean, unless he's muddled the timelines or, quite frankly, muddled the entire thing. Because I, mm-hmm. I find, let's put it this way. I find it borderline impossible that you would feel the need to practice hoisting the Stanley Cup. Right. Now. He might have been interpreting maybe guys were mimicking something or maybe someone threw their hands above their head or maybe it's one, maybe, just maybe, it's one of those urban legends that gets twisted way out of whack. What, Laddie, what was the one you were referring to this morning when we were discussing this? Uh, the Haley Wickenheiser, the Americans were stepping on our flag rant that turned right. out to be totally fabricated. Totally right. false, right. right. So this may be that. I still choose to believe that. Which one? The Americans. Yeah. They're, they're just, yeah. To be quite honest, for the purposes of this show, I'm going to believe Chara. <laughs> well, I think here's here's one thing. Here's one thing that I think um, should be mentioned. I think the Canucks were pretty confident they were going to win the Stanley Cup. They were up to nothing. Yeah. I think they were acting like it. Uh, yeah. And Char also makes mention of the fact that the Canucks were calling the league and asking them about the arrangements for you know getting family out on the ice for the post Stanley Cup celebrations. Yeah. To which I would reply, I believe that because. Um, it was either Lawrence Gilman or Mike Gillis in interviews that I've heard were talking about how, looking back, they did get a little distracted by some of that stuff. And you do have a lot of non-game stuff that you have to worry about, such as getting out the family to a place like Boston and, yeah. and arranging all that sort of stuff. And the Canucks, uh, Gilman and Gillis, have both admitted that in hindsight, they would have handled some things a little bit differently. That would have included how they dealt with the media and how they felt about some of the things that were being said about the Canucks during the Stanley Cup final. In a way, and uh, I brought this up with Mike, I think off air. Okay. The Canucks in the Stanley Cup final reminded me a bit, or maybe it's the other way around, of Canada at the World Cup. Because Canada at the World Cup, sure. it was a great story that they made it to the World Cup. But then when they came, when they were center stage and things started to go a little bit pear-shaped, I don't think they handled that very well. They lost their composure a little they bit. They lost right? their composure. They made some comments. John Herbman made a comment about Croatia that he'll probably look back on and say- He did? I'm going to- I'm Maybe I shouldn't have done that. And people called them out for it. And- even though it all started out really well, especially you know with the way they started against Belgium and the fact that they just got there, they didn't handle the moment very well. Now, as to this whole thing about Chara seeing or hearing about the Canucks raising the Stanley Cup on the ice, I think that's probably myth. Yeah. Um, and Kevin Bieksa apparently is going to address this on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada. So Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show here on the Sportsnet Radio Network, uh, tweeted out yesterday that he texted Bieksa right away. Bieksa said this never happened, 100% didn't happen. And you're right, Jason. It sounds as though uh, Bieksa, I mean, it makes sense. He's going to be working Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. The Canucks are on, of course, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena against Minnesota. And Bieksa will be there. I assume that this is good. So we're really setting the table here for what's going to I, – I, I am I'm, I'm sorry. looking forward to watching that. This yeah. is going to be good. I'm sorry if this is driving you nuts and lots of people in the Dunbar Lumber text line don't want to hear this. And fair enough, I don't blame you, but this is going to be a talking point, not just today, but Saturday as well. Uh, Has there been a Stanley Cup final like this? Like I, I know we're this we're, is one of the most contentious or hated that I could ever think of in, in yeah. my lifetime. Yeah, we're the it, two teams that like hated each other. That and we much. always we obviously have a uh, have a bias um, here, but I think I, I've seen comments from even those outside the market that are like, it's incredible that they're still talking about this Stanley Cup final. And I think uh, the main reason is that 
Vancouver's never won a Stanley Cup before, at least the Canucks have never won the Stanley Cup before, and we were so close, and the way it went, how pear-shaped it went, and how the Canucks were really... Listen, I know some people don't like to hear this because they're like, the Sedins were so classy. Like, how could you hate the Canucks? The Canucks were the perfect team to hate. Yep. They really were. They were cocky. And Torres, they, the Perrier. They had Burroughs. They had Max Lapierre and Alex Burroughs on the same team. And, Chris and Kessler. Kessler. <laughs> like four guys Kessler. there on that yeah. roster. That and Luongo was, making, Luongo was making comments during, during the series. Like, it, 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 people act so surprised that – the Canucks were made out to be the villains, even though the Boston Bruins were the big bad team, and people would say like, "Oh, they're so dirty." But the Canucks were, <laughs> the Canucks were a little bit weaselly, right? You know, like in in the do you remember Lapierre like faking and getting, uh, you know, uh, I think he someone sticked him in the in the cup or something like that, and, and like he faked it like he was just like hurt so badly. Like that's the type of team. That you just really, really want to hate. Well, can I also? Okay, just I'm going to get hell for this in the in the Dunbar Lumber text uh, line because even 11 should, years later, I mean, people will not we people should. will not admit that some people will not admit that the Canucks no, were hateable. That the Canucks were a hundred percent hateable. Yeah, 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 but, totally. yeah but, that, but we said that before. I mean, I don't think that's anything like revelatory or new. I think it, what everyone has to understand about why this series has taken on the life that it has. And part of it was uh, something happened between two teams that, quite frankly, had no history going into that series. And the hate was instantaneous. And if you look at the 11 Stanley Cup finals since then, that has been completely bereft. There has been, I mean, we've covered, I'd say, two-thirds of them, up close and personal, boots on the ground. There was not even close to the same sentiment. Anyway, I mean, look, look at... uh, Remember 2012 between the Kings and the Devils? <laughs> Barely. Do you remember? Devils are just happy to be there. Do you yeah. remember like 2015, Chicago, Tampa Bay? Like, There's no real discernible moments from that. There was a couple of moments from... Which like, one? I, I, I remember... Okay. The one that we were kind of hoping would get nasty would be the Penguins and Predators just because you had the Crosby, Subban... But like, yeah. But but, but it didn't come close. It didn't. It, no. I'm not saying that. But I remember um, covering those and being like, looking for some sort of, uh, just looking a for hook. some sort of hook. Yeah. And it was just, it was just a high. And, and and unfortunately, and this is what we were talking about earlier in the week. I think the league has lost some of this. I think the league has lost some of the the hate, some of the rivalries. We we've we've we, you know what well, we're Vegas I guess had had a decent rivalry with um, Washington. No. Oh, um, in the Cup final, I'm talking about. You're talking about the Vegas goal, uh, San Jose rivalry. Yeah, like yeah. that was that was a that was, okay. that was a decent rivalry, but I don't think I don't think it matched Vancouver Chicago or even Vancouver Boston, which continued on for a few years. Yeah. People always talk about Game Eight. There are other games too, like when Boston came to Vancouver. And Marchant was doing the whole cup raising thing. He was and, practicing, and he accused of accused Kessler of like gouging his eyes out and everything. Like it, it just like it it hurts as a Vancouver Canucks fan that you know we lost that Stanley Cup Stanley Cup final, but it was man, that was fun. Like the whole thing was just such a rush, and we don't have that anymore in the NHL. I, I, or at least maybe we've just not been part of it here in Vancouver because the Canucks haven't been part of it. Yeah, there is a bias for sure, but. What is the best rivalry in the NHL right now? Make a good point. Oh, I don't think there is one. What is the best one? What is, What is the one where you just like Leafs and these like somebody. no the no. Leafs and themselves? No. Yeah. I, I mean, know. Battle the, of Alberta was, <laughs> but they trade they lost Kachuk of the Battle of Alberta. That was the best and one. The Battle of Alberta didn't like that whole series. The, the, the Kings Oilers series was a better series than that series. Yeah, but the playoff series wasn't great. But the regular season matchups, yeah. when Cassian was going uh, after that was. Yeah, deep. But Cassian's guess. gone and Kachuk's gone. Um, Multiple people, like 20 people now at this point, have pointed out in the text box, it's probably worth mentioning, the fact that Chara says first in the same quote, we saw and then changes to we heard about this, just completely shoots down any yeah, possibility that this could be true. A couple truth bombs here. One, Chara's just playing it up because he's on a podcast with Edelman and a stand-up comedian, right? And you don't get a guy on a podcast to say nothing of interest. It's a podcast. Everyone's got to say something. And to be quite honest, we now live... In a time where it doesn't really matter. There's no, like, it's not going to ruin Chara's reputation. Nothing's going to come of this. 
He could have said anything. Could have said the Pruder film of the. He could have said Burroughs was pouring sugar in my gas tank. Like he, you know, it doesn't. I'd make, actually it, believe that one too. Right. Burroughs <laughs> is like, how'd they find out? Yeah, <laughs> Zut, Alors, They found out. Uh, now I'll say this. Someone texted in, why do we do this every two weeks? So I was thinking about this. I've come to the sad realization that 2011 and 94 um, are maybe two of the best Stanley Cups of all time, Stanley Cup finals. A thousand percent. And A thousand percent. when you yeah. get to that apex, that summit, and you lose. Both of them. That's a defining characteristic that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. So don't say, why are we revisiting it? Because you're not revisiting anything. This is now part of the Canucks persona mm-hmm. forever. Like, for those of you that think that 94 and 2011, like, it's not going to be like Bill Buckner when the Red Sox won the World Series. Like, the curse ain't going to be lifted. It's not a curse. That's part of your identity. I don't know what to tell you. But it, like, did, but it did make it easier to stomach when the Red Sox finally won the World Series. And if the Buffalo Bills, with this current group of players, can win a Super Bowl, it is going to make those four straight Super Bowl losses more stomachable for people that went through that because they will have something to latch on to and say, you know what, despite the fact that we had to deal with that, we stuck with this team, Mm -hmm. we kept following this team, and finally it became worthwhile that, that we saw this moment. And I honestly think that there are still echoes of 2011 with this team currently 11 years later. Uh, There are still echoes. I'll never forget uh, Tim Kawakami. He used to write in the Bay Area. Now he's with The Athletic. I think he was writing about the San Jose Sharks after they blew that 3-0 series lead against the Kings. I think it was in the first or second round of 2014 playoffs. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And he said that the organization had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. From the top to the bottom. And they said they just couldn't escape the what they had done. What had happened. That they had blown such a good opportunity. And mm-hmm. then, they, like, then they started stripping the captain every season. And Doug Wilson was like, I'm going to make a bunch of crazy trades. Yeah, you and, lose your way. So, you, lo- you lose your way. And that's what that's what happened to the so Canucks. So here's the thing. like You mentioned the Red Sox. And they have a long litany of losing. Like painful, painful, painful losses, right? Um, there's something different, though, about being in Game 7 of the championship of your sport twice in unforgettable historic series and coming up empty. It's just a unique level of suffering and pain, and it it, form, it forms you as a fan. So don't don't get upset at any time anyone revisits that. Because we're talking – you know the reason we're talking about a decade later is because every other Stanley Cup final since then, quite honestly, has not even come close to living up to how much drama and how much mm-hmm. intrigue there was in that. The ratings for that thing were – off the charts, and I remember the American Network being a little bit worried about that series because it had a Canadian team in it. And the more that series went on, they were probably thinking after Game Two, like this is going to be awful. Yeah, like but, don't. But when the Bruins, when the Bru- Game Three was the, it, it turned it turned everything because first of all there was the Aaron Rome hit on Nathan Horton, but also, and I think honestly more importantly was the fact that the Canucks, they became beatable with that game because they absolutely fell apart in game three. And that's why I always revisit. I'm like, A.V. should have pulled Luongo, get him out of there after the second period, and then it's not as bad that things went so badly in the third period, right? That's that's what should have happened. It didn't, whatever. What? But when the Bruins won that game, because they won it, in such a deciding fashion, because they didn't just scratch and claw to beat the Canucks. They absolutely embarrassed them. They were all over them. Mm-hmm. They gained that belief because they did not have that belief. I've told this story a few times. I was in Boston ahead of game three. I went to Fenway to see a Red Sox game. There was nobody wearing Bruins gear. Nobody believed that the Bruins were going to come back and win that Stanley Cup. The media, Mm -hmm. the national media was thinking this is going to be a sweep Mm -hmm. because the Canucks, everyone was thinking that this is just their time. They'd won the President's Trophy. They'd been dominant that year. They'd gotten over the hump. They'd slayed the Dragon against the Chicago Blackhawks. They'd handled the next two series fairly easily, Nashville, San Jose, and then they win the first two games of the Stanley Cup final. 
So it doesn't surprise me to hear that the Canucks were a little bit cocky. The Canucks thought very highly of themselves. They had a confidence. They had a swagger. Game three knocked them off knocked them off balance in a big way. And even though they did come back to win game five, I don't think they ever recovered from what happened in game three. Uh, okay, let's do a couple well, other. Oh, no, I'm depressed. Why? Thanks, Jason. This is, just, this is who you are now. I can't <laughs> believe you guys went through that whole discussion without mentioning the the burgeoning Tim Thomas illegal gear story from oh, the 20. I don't. Uh, it, there's too many. Like this, but this is again came out in a court case. Yeah, it's, but this is what real. I'm saying. Is it's like a real that, thing that, that happened. That 2011 Stanley Cup final had I don't know 15 different flashpoint moments that everyone either remembers or forgets because there's so much other stuff. When's to the remember. documentary, by the way? Well, there, there should be one. one. There, there's there so really many angles be. you can. Like, here's one, the thing: yeah. Boston's been back to the Stanley Cup final twice since 2011 and there's no and I know that they lost it's the difference but mm-hmm. nobody's talking about the great war stories from their series in 2013 against the Blackhawks what do you remember about that series I remember well them Brian, giving up two goals and was it Bickle, 15 seconds Bickle and Boland scoring at the end of it yeah I don't remember how many I think it went six games and then the 20 the 2019 Stanley Cup final against the Blues that was a painful loss for the Bruins though right but it Let's talk about that. It long. didn't, but it didn't really like res. Like they just, I just kind remember of almost, drunk Brett Hall. That's all I remember. Well, I don't think yeah. it resonated in Canada so much because everyone was focused on the Raptors run then. Yeah, that's true as well. And that, and that, that I really enjoyed that series. I thought it was a terrific series. It was. It just doesn't like again. If you go into Boston and they're like, "How painful was it that you lost in 2019?" I'm not sure if I mean I'm sure the players well, would right? have been way more painful if they had lost in 2011, and then that was their third straight Stanley Cup. But well, they exactly. they won it. They won right? the Stanley Cup. They yeah. won it. And then you look at some like again, we're talking about a decade here where the Penguins won back to back Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. Like that team should be celebrated as one of the greatest little mini dynasties of all time. But it was like, yeah, well, they beat Nashville in one of the finals and they beat the Sharks in the other one. And from right from the beginning, it looked like they were going to win. Yeah. What was the best Stanley Cup final since 2011? Maybe St. Louis, Boston. Yeah. I'll tell you what it wasn't Tampa Bay, Dallas in the bubble. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I guess the most forgettable Stanley Cup. Corey Perry was there. Do you think that. the NHL is at at all concerned about yes. about the lack of? I don't want to say emotion, but maybe emotion. The lack of uh, passion, the lack of hate in the NHL right now, because I'm sure right now they're they're thrilled with the skill level. They're thrilled with all the goals. They're thrilled with. Uh, players like McDavid and you know what Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and all these and like Elias Patterson, all these types of players that are unbelievably skilled to the point yeah. where you're watching these games and no lead is safe. That's great. Like they've wanted this for for a while, but now I wonder if there's some people in the league that are like, man, you know what really gets fans going, especially around playoff time, is rivalries. So on that, the, I think the biggest issue that the NHL playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs have right now is that it peaks in the first round and your interest wanes after that. I think the most interesting series over the last few years have been in the first round. I think most of the uh, questionable, all the stuff that makes it, the, the back and forth, the questionable hits, the overtimes, yeah. the upsets, it's all the, the most memorable moments kind of tend to happen in the first round because mm-hmm. it's kind of geared to be that way. Teams are so juiced up. And here's the key, probably at their healthiest in the first round. Like, I've seen some uh, conference finals and Stanley Cup finals. Like, And it, it almost, you kind of look back and you're like, well, you've won the war of attrition. And now you're in the cup final. Can you hang on? The last couple of years, like, I feel bad for Tampa Bay because so much of their, this epic run that they've been on with two Stanley Cups and a third Stanley Cup final got interrupted due to COVID. Like, they won one in the bubble and all that. And I, so that's that's a whole entirely different thing. But I feel like, un, for better or for worse, the Stanley Cup playoffs peak in the first round and then general interest wanes now. How significant is it a, fa- is it a factor in these Stanley Cup finals, if you want to say they're lacking a bit of passion, or at least compared to 2011, that it hasn't been a Canadian team in the final. I know Montreal made it in 2021. It's, it wasn't the same thing. We were still in yeah. restrictions. It just it wasn't the same because it's tough. It's tough. when you have a Canadian team in there, um, obviously you're going to have more attention on it. You're going to have more pressure on those players. You're going to have more media coverage. Even some of the teams that have been involved lately, like you know, Tampa Bay is a good non-traditional hockey market. 
But I don't think the city as a whole lives and dies with the lightning. They're just happy to have them. And we've we've been to these, like we've been to LA when they've been in the Stanley Cup final. And yeah, Kings fans are excited. But there isn't that feeling like if the Kings don't win this, my life will be forever altered. We're gonna burn down LA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, there just there just isn't in that. And and I think when there are fan bases involved that really, 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 really care, that translates to the players, that translates to the series, and it translates to that feeling of out of control. Mm-hmm. Like That's what the 2011 Stanley Cup Final was. There was a feeling of, man, we don't know what's going to happen next. Let's face it, a lot of the games were blowouts, especially the ones that Boston won. They weren't especially compelling, all of them, but... It was the on-ice antics. It was the the media avails where you never knew what was going to happen and you had questions about this and that. Like That's when the energy really ramps up, and I just I don't know if we've had that. Max in New West, uh, he says, I don't know, guys. The finals last year was amazing. Easily some of the best hockey I've ever watched in my life. It was all-star level hockey, and that's what fans want to see. I don't disagree with you that the level was the hockey insane. was awesome. The here's, abs were amazing. Here's the thing. How often do you talk about it? How often do fans in those markets talk about it? My wife's a Navs fan. I hear about it quite regularly. Really? Yeah. She's like, do you remember game three of the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals, Gregory? And then you say, yes, yes. I do. Yeah. Hyper-specific I, moments. Yeah. yeah. And again, this is obviously from, we. I mean, we live in a very insulated bubble here in Vancouver where we're pretty hyper-focused on certain things and we're out on the West Coast. But we've also, like, we've had a pretty unique experience. Jason and I have been able to do done this on a national level. And you can just tell when things resonate. Mm-hmm. In a major way. And you can tell when they don't. When the Rangers and Kings went to the Stanley Cup Final in 2014, everyone was like, this is a marketer's dream. None of the big four have had New York versus L.A. in a championship. And it was cool from a glitz and glamour perspective. We were flying back and forth across, back and forth across the country from JFK to LAX and then back and forth. But you get to the cities. And, and it's the just, series was over in five games. But it's also just not the same. Yeah. Nothing... Nothing captures L.A. Nothing captures New York. The cities are too busy and and too too diverse and they're too big, right? But here's the thing. The Stanley Cup comes to Vancouver. Everything gets put on halt. And then when it's over, they burn everything. (laughs) It's like a a bonfire. Yeah, it's the stakes are high. (laughs) I got to go to break. We'll come back in the 8 o'clock hour. Moj is going to join us for some football talk. And then at 8.30, we're going to do a bunch of giveaways. Canucks tickets and the scenic rush grand prize giveaway a dog do you have something you're just looking at me longingly quizzically if you will puppy dog eyes i just hope you ask the moj about 2011 that's all you should talk well about. i think we should ask moj about the lack of rivalries in the nhl and i mean moj is an old school guy too and you know he'll say like i was, I was at queen's park arena watching yeah. the new West bruins and <laughs> that was a that rivalry. was hockey right? that was like, a rivalry <laughs> yeah so we'll talk to moj about that um lots more to come final hour the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.